0: Have tech.
1: <laughs> you can go slow
0: um
1: a kids co A, a kids, kids co. co this show was brought to you by a kids co
2: hi i'm jen and i'm head of books at a kids co we make books for all kinds of kids and families we have books about belonging and gratitude and shame Books about curiosity and justice and bravery. Books on topics that reflect your family, your community, and your experiences. We have books written by artists and teachers and coaches. Books by musicians and immigrants and kids. Books by people who know that sharing our stories can help us grow stronger and grow together. Check out these books and more by visiting akidsco.com. We have a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the code BETTERGROWNUPS at checkout to save 25% off your entire purchase. That's akidsco.com and use the code BETTERGROWNUPS. Thanks.
0: Hey, welcome to Better Grown Ups. I'm Jelani Memory, founder of A Kids Co, and this is a Parenting Podcast all about how to be a better grown-up. This week I'm chatting with Lynds Amer, a multi-hyphenate writer, performer, creator, and activist. Lynds is the creator of the beloved web series Queer Kid Stuff, and their work has been featured on Good Morning America, Kids Screen, Teen Vogue, and so many more. They've even got a TED Talk. They've written and consulted on kids' shows like The Fabulous Show with Faye and Fluffy, the Webby Award-winning Blues Clues, and You Pride Parade music video for Nick Jr. Lynn's is like a modern-day queer and non-binary Mr. Rogers, making media for the next generation is what they do, which is why I thought they'd be the perfect person to talk with when it came to kids, identity, gender, and how to navigate it all as a parent. We absolutely get into it in the best way possible and answer questions like, when do kids fundamentally understand their gender? How can you not screw up when your kid comes out? And why that last question is actually kind of problematic. Why is there so little queer kids content? And are things actually getting better for queer kids? Or is it maybe worse than it's ever been? I'm so excited about this conversation. Buckle up. This is a good one. Okay, Lynn Zamer, let's do this. Linz Amher, you are a writer, creator, and activist. Welcome to Better Grown Ups.
3: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Honestly, I want to just get right into it. What got you into making all of this prolific kids content?
3: So everything really started for me in theater. That's kind of like my origin story is like being a really nerdy little theater kid growing up in New York city and like going to Broadway shows and like absolutely falling in love with performance and then pursuing that through college. And then when I got to the theater program at Northwestern that I went to, um, there's a really robust theater for young audiences program there. And I just kind of fell in love with storytelling for kids. Mm. And that's kind of been my, that was like the spark for a lot of things. And first of all, in like figuring out my craft and like understanding of myself as like a creative person. And then I, so I was taking these kind of theater for young audiences class and and learning about storytelling for kids. And I was also taking like queer theory at the same time and like figuring out my identity and understanding, um, queerness and gender identity at like a higher collegiate level and like in theory and stuff. And I and I looked at kind of like these two things that I was falling really deeply into. And I wondered why they couldn't speak to each other. So I kind of like took everything I was learning in queer theory and went back to my craft and was like, OK, why isn't this over here? I think this would have been helpful for me when I was a kid who, again, was that like nerdy theater kid <laughs> growing up in New York. And. And I saw that there just really wasn't any queer and trans representation in children's theater, in queer in storytelling for kids generally. And I'm talking like from books to TV shows, but also to theater. And so I started kind of pursuing that first through theater and then um, really just found there wasn't a lot in that space for me I think uh, theater is like a whole thing to talk about but like it's especially (laughs) children's theater I think is like generally a pretty white cis straight space and there hasn't been a lot of movement there for a long time and I kind of pulled myself together and was like okay maybe this isn't the space for me in this moment and so I was in London for grad school kind of doing this like weird performance art <laughs> degree <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like traveling Europe for a year and just kind of like trying to figure myself out and where I wanted my career to go and all of that. And I was watching a lot of YouTube and like queer YouTube creators like Hannah Hart, I watch Drunk Kitchen all the time, and and all of, <laughs> and all, and folks like that, and I just kind of like had this wild idea for a web series where I was just kind of like, there's educational content on this in this space, and. There are people doing cool work and there's a lot of queer folks there and there are a lot of young people there. And so I was like, why don't I do like a weird like Mr. Rogers E like preschool aimed family aimed LGBT Mr. Rogers Bill Nye sort of thing and came back to the States and was starting to like kind of figure out you know, quarter life crisis and <laughs> figuring out my career and my art, and my work, and just kind of like gathered a couple of friends together who could work a camera and came out with this pilot episode and it all just kind of really snowballed from there. And I've basically been making queer work for kids ever since. And that's taken just like a lot of different forms from the web series to live performances to I'm in books now, I'm in TV, I'm in music. I'd like to call myself a bit of a generalist. I do kind of like the same thing, but across many mediums. And, um, uh, definitely keeps me on my toes and nice and busy for sure.
0: I want to dive it back into that web series called Queer Kid Stuff, which is a great name, by the way.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh. Some people get a little weird about the name. So I, I appreciate that. Thank
0: you. No, it's brilliant. It's like exactly what it should be. And look, we'll get to sort of the people's feedback and haters in a second because I, I have lots of questions on that end. Why did that show not exist before you made it? it blew my mind to go, this surely has been done before. That th- It's so obvious. Why was it never made until you showed up to make it?
3: I think the answer is that it was incredibly difficult to make. And I'm not saying like practically, um, I'm saying like, I mean, starting to segue a little bit into like the feedback and stuff, but like there were so many roadblocks and like still to this day, I've, I haven't had a chance to like reboot it or like create new content f- of that web series. Like there are so many obstacles and roadblocks to even just making it happen because there's so much stigma around queerness in kids. Like it is I've gotten the same like, quote-unquote, feedback on the web series its entire existence. And, like, what we're seeing right now in kind of, like, the national landscape of, like, queerness and transness and kids, like, that, the, like, groomer, the pedophile, the, like, the sexualizing kids, all of that's the banned books, all of it is what I experienced on a personal level when I first started the series, and now I'm seeing it play out on, like, a national scale. And... It has always been there that there is this. I hit a nerve. I really, really did, and that spoke to like the, how successful the series became and how kind of beloved I think it's become. Yeah. Um, but that's like a in a nutshell reason is that like there's a lot of stigma and like queer and transphobia when it comes to young kids, and I just don't think anyone. Had the gumption, I guess, is part of it. Um, I think people are scared of this kind of work.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I think the gumption to create something like that.
3: Yeah, and I think that like in the kind of larger like kids TV world too. like there have been moments in the history of it where people have like kind of tried to do like queer content and like now that's like kind of bubbling up and becoming a little bit more of a thing that I'm I think a part of (laughs) but um, like there was a episode of in the Arthur universe in I think the 90s um, this like postcard for Buster um, episode they had like real live families like send postcards into the characters and there was a same-sex family there um there was like a two-mom family and everyone went completely bananas and it like basically ruined the next like 10 years of people trying to get queer representation for Mm. kids um so and like you see how like places like Sesame Street and like have really avoided kind of like queerness and Burton Ernie (laughs) all of that um so there's there's just a lot of people just not wanting to do it basically
1: for more great books and podcasts made to empower kids.
0: This is Better Grown Ups. Welcome back. Let's go back to my conversation with Lynn Amer. So we make books on challenging topics from racism, death, cancer, gender, identity, and I remember even in the earliest days when I when my my book was just a, a whisper of an idea, a thing that I made for my kids and, and, and was never going to be more. When I showed it to a couple friends, they were like, wow, this is this is really interesting, Jelani. Like, but I would never read this something like st- this to my kids. It's uh I don't want them to know that stuff like this exists in the world. And I remember sort of like craning my head and going, Really? Like it was such an uninformed perspective that was almost like th- there wasn't really anything that I could say to it. One, I think your web series was way ahead of its time. And so bravo to you for making it.
3: Thank you. I think so too. <laughs> yeah. And
0: two, those stigmas around gender and queerness and identity with kids right now has seemed to reach this explosive cultural sort of boiling point, hot-button moment for grown-ups, for parents, for folks with kids in their lives, coaches, aunties, uncles, grandparents. Can we just dive straight into it and start... Let's just, like, tear apart some of these stigmas and some of these dog whistles Mm -hmm. and some of these bits and pieces, because it feels like the stakes are so high when it comes to grown-ups getting this wrong with the kids in their lives.
3: Yeah, and this is this is a great way for me to plug my book. <laughs> um cuz this is like a really big part of kind of like the first section of what I go through in this um my book is Rainbow Parenting and I talk about queer and gender affirming kind of like quote unquote parenting styles, but it's like for anyone with little's in their lives much like this podcast is. And um it's really about one, like, yes, outlining those stakes and talking about like the horrific statistics on queer and trans youth suicide, like trigger warning for anyone listening. But like talking about first, like Leela Alcorn, who, you know, com- uh, died by suicide because of she was a trans girl who didn't feel like she had any prospect in life. I am not going to get the names right, but there was a, a boy in Denver, Colorado, who was nine and died by suicide because he was being bullied for being gay when he was in his school. And those are not outliers. That's the, actually the norm. And like the narrative for myself is that like I am here and where I am today because I was lucky and I grew up with privilege that allowed me to get to a place where like I had like a, a light at the end of the tunnel where I could like go to college and kind of like get away from my family and like figure my mm. stuff out and like figure out my craft and like what my purpose in life is. And not everyone has that. Not everyone has access to the wealth that I had when in, in able to be able to go to college, to pursue what I wanted to pursue and to like figure myself out. Not everyone has that time or that access to privilege. And I think that like, it's so easy to forget that, like, every single trans person that makes it to adulthood is, like, a marvel. And (laughs) it's, there's just so much stacked against queer and trans kids. Even in just, like, first understanding themselves and having the representation necessary to be able to, like, develop the language and the ability to self-identify and find community in that way, but also just, like, people just not... Supporting kids in the way they need to be to be their like true, authentic selves. And that has so much to do with like expectations that parents put on their kids to grow up and be cisgender and straight, because that's how our society teaches us that like kids will grow up. Like that is like a projection we put on every single child because that's the normative within our society of like everyone is going to grow up probably to be cisgender and straight. And like that is just not true. And like there's a lot more research that's been coming about out about the fact that that isn't true and that like how many Gen Z kids are identifying as like not straight now, today. And like a lot of the trends with that, I see a lot of people looking at... um the proliferation of people who identify as left-handed with the people and like it follows a similar trajectory of people who also identify who identify as trans and like it's not like there were more left-handed people being born it's that the stigma was basically erased in our society like now it's totally normal to be a left-handed person maybe there aren't as many you know left-handed scissors being handed out in classrooms but like People are fine with being left-handed. There's nothing wrong with that. And so we're seeing that trend also as like, that's the way that there are always been this many transgender people, but they just haven't been allowed to be themselves or figure themselves out or be trans because of the stigmas against trans people.
0: I love that insight. And I think um, it presents a really interesting opportunity slash bright spot, which is... Mm -hmm. Stigmas are being dismantled around the acceptance and the ability to identify as trans or as queer, but there's still so many roadblocks, just like you talked about with your web series. Let's get hyper practical. Let's say I'm a parent. I've got a kid. Forget about the age, their school age, and they come out. How do I not screw that up?
3: I think the biggest way to not screw it up is to acknowledge that you don't know everything. And that, like, that is also okay. And I'm I'm gonna say that again. It is okay to not know everything and not know how to do it right. Because understanding that and understanding that you don't necessarily have the knowledge or, or experience to do this properly opens you up to be able to learn about it and to be able to learn about it and figure it out with your child and find the support that you need in order to explore that.
2: Have you ever heard someone say or do something racist? And you want to say or do something in return, but what do you say? And how do you say it? Do you even know enough to say anything at all? If this sounds like you, then keep listening. Hi, I'm Misasha, a lawyer.
3: And I'm Sarah, a life coach. And we are two biracial best friends who started Dear White Women, an award-winning weekly podcast which aims to help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We started it back in April of 2019, and together we use conversations both with ourselves and with others to explore our three pillars of anti-racism. Listen, learn, and act.
2: We'd love for you to join us in our
3: journey, because this is one. And spoiler alert, it's not just for white women. Listen for new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more, find us at dearwhitewomen.com.
2: A kid's book about war, a little book about justice, a kid's
0: class about mental health, a kid's mindful moment, a kid's podcast about emotions. There is so much to explore
2: at akidsco.com. Check it out. Visit akidsco.com.
0: We're back. You're listening to Better Grown Ups and my conversation with Linz Amer.
3: I do want to back up just a little bit because the way you pose this is that on uh, starting with the fact that like a kid came out in your life. But I do want to challenge that like what makes you think that like you only have to do this if your kid is queer or trans? Like mm. what tells you why do you think that your kid is cis or straight why where is that assumption coming from where are you already projecting and writing that onto your kid especially if they are young and don't necessarily have the language or the representation to show them that's a possibility model for them but also like I mean look at society around us that is the norm in in how we grow up and how we think about like our kids our kids coming into the world or of, of their coming into a cis and straight world and so how can we say that's not necessarily what could be your truth right and allow them to make that discovery for themselves before they even have to tell us right so i so i just want to like complicate that a little bit but also like it's definitely a different experience of like parenting in a queer and gender affirming way from the get go versus like those assumptions being disrupted by your kid and having to deal with that. And like the emotions of that, that like you might have as a parent or as a person with a kid in your life. And like, that is a whole thing that you probably are going to go through some emotions because breaking down those, those projections of what your idea of your child's life might be is, is a process. Right. And I think that like those emotions are definitely valid, but also like I mean, it's, it's the same process as like decolonizing our minds and like figuring out how to live with like anti-racist values. Like it's all like such a similar like trajectory. It's just like understanding a different facet of like our uh, (laughs) societal structures and like how they're influencing us.
0: Mm, That's brilliant. And I think well said. And it makes me think of This theory that I've had for a while around the problem with defaults, Mm -hmm. another way to put this is bias or prejudice or preconception or, you know, assumptions, but there are a series of defaults that we begin to embrace as we grow up and get into adulthood. And of course, when kids come into our lives, that fundamentally... Anytime someone has a kid coming into life, they start to challenge that just by the nature of, of being a kid and going, you know, what the hell are you talking about, <laughs> right? Like, why would you think that? And and I think there's two options for a grown-up: they can either go, oh, and have their mind changed, or become malleable, or rethink something, or or double down. And mm-hmm. I hate to say it, most parents double down. They double down on, I'm older, I'm smarter, I've got more experience, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. A common refrain I've heard from folks who do not want to affirm their kid's identity or their gender is, oh, they're too young, or they're just confused, or this is just a phase. What do you say to that grown-up?
3: A couple of things. So the first thing that comes up for me is, and I I love to pull this out of my back pocket, is that there's research that actually says that kids do know what, especially about their gender. Um, The American Academy of Pediatrics has said that most kids have a solid understanding of their gender identity by the age of four. So, yeah, Mm. four years old kids, cis and trans and non-binary all alike have an understanding of their gender identity by the age of four. And then the other thing that's kind of coming up with that is this idea of childism. So childism, if folks haven't heard that word before is the essentially prejudice against kids for being kids. So for being young and kids are an incredibly vulnerable and marginalized group, just like as, (laughs) as like an identifier of like young people because kids are humans. Kids are fully realized people with their own wants and needs. They're like the biggest difference I like to say, like between adults and kids, like sure, height, physical differences, et cetera, et cetera. But like the biggest one for me is that kids just don't have as much lived experience as adults. And it's more about And and like, obviously, like, don't always have like the tools to regulate their emotions and are developing and like all of those things. But like the lived experience is how adults bring so much baggage to ideas around queerness and around gender. And like we bring our own experience around those ideas. And like, therefore, the all of the stuff that society tells us about what's quote unquote normal about our sexuality and our gender and like generally how we move through the world through Um, navigating gender stereotypes and prejudices and all the things that affect us on a day-to-day basis, right? And our gender and our sexuality are so core to so many people's identities. And that's also true for kids, right? And like, they just don't have as much exposure to navigating these things as we do as adults. And so they're coming at these ideas. And like, this is why I love talking to kids about sexuality and gender, because I can be their first introduction to these ideas and I can explain it in a way that like is joyful and like and not even centering queerness and and transness at all but like just giving like an open possibility of like it's not just straightness and cisness that like is the Idea of gender identity. Like, your gender identity is not the gender you were assigned at birth by a doctor. Your gender identity is how you feel about yourself. And then you can use language that we have that exists in our society to help you communicate that to others. But no one can tell you what your identity is. And I think that, like, that's a big difference. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on. This is maybe a controversial take, and I and I wanna and I wanna suss it out a little bit. That I think my like kind of like radical idea is that all children are queer. And I'm not talking about all children being gay, and I'm not talking about all children being trans. It's picking up on what you said that like kids are pre-structural. Kids don't understand the structures of our society. They disrupt. Like this is what's so exciting about kids and about including kids in justice and like radical movements, is that they can see things that we don't because they don't have that lived experience, because they are not as meshed and embedded in our societal structures as we are, because we have had so many years of having to navigate them through our personhood and our identity and our language. So I think that all kids are queer in a way that queerness is like different and like outside of structure, in like kind of like the queer theory version of queer, not as in like I don't think every kid is gay, I don't think every kid is trans, but I do think every kid is queer because they disrupt what is quote unquote normalized. And that for me is like what's so exciting about queerness and is so exciting about being around kids in general because one, I just, I, I like kids, kids are cool. <laughs> and. I think that, like, kids bring a fresh perspective to our world and uh, there's like I feel like Twitter discourse is always kind of like kids suck and and I don't like being around kids and I'm kind of like okay but why are you talking in that way what about like an entire group of people makes you not like them like that I like if you said that about like a a racial group like that's racist (laughs) right (laughs) like why can't we think about kids like you're generalizing around an entire group of people that's messed up. And I think that like, this is also something that happens in like the queer and trans community too. And this, and this comes back into like the, you know, calling people like queer and trans people who work with kids groomers. Like, I mean, I have maybe 50 different spellings of the word pedophile in my block list. Right. And it's about, it's very specifically and insidiously about separating generations of trans people and queer people from each other. So we are in isolation and cannot continue to, educate each other and help each other through the world. I mean, this is what happens. I mean, I'm Jewish and this is like talking about like indigenous peoples as well is like, this is what happens when genocide happens is like generational trauma and like, and isolating generations from each other and breaking um, cycles of knowledge. And it is um, really, really detrimental to marginalized peoples.
0: You're blowing my mind right now. (laughs) I'll just tell you that. So much to unpack there, but I want to key in on on this last idea that you shared. It makes me think that what's driving most of this is fear. I can relate in some ways where, you know, I remember when things really popped off in the summer of 2020 after the murder of George Floyd. There was what's now been termed as a racial reckoning, but there was also a whole bunch of folks who were like, who were scared, sort of like, what are the black people asking for now? Like, gosh, don't they have enough or like Black lives matter? Like, well, oh, like there was so much fear packed into just people being unhappy and on the streets and protesting that there was that immediate backlash and and I feel like specifically with Gen Z and this radical generation that they are, And being able to be more freely themselves, be more freely activist, be challenge the sort of status quo, that there's this this massive backlash by the older grown-up generation, not everyone, out of a fear, I think they don't understand it. They don't get it. That's not how it was when they were kids. How could they know? There's so much packed into there. Look, we're not going to solve it today on this podcast. Uh, We're not going to solve racism. We're not going to solve, right? Like gender discrimination. But how do we start to undo that fear?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that, yes, yes, it's definitely fear. Yes. It's like fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of like losing power, I think, is a really big thing. And this all points to white supremacy. Right. And and people who are in power, a.k.a. the wealthy cisgender straight white old men who run the world for the most part and like own almost every single company that exists in America, um, and like capitalism and stuff. Um, and it, those people are scared because they have been in charge for maybe a couple hundred years and that's what they've known. And they like being in power and they like having people who look the same as them on the other side of the boardroom. And, uh, Folks like us are threatening that and folks, mm. the protesters uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests like that's exactly what they were doing. They were getting angry. They were getting mad and they were speaking truth to power. And uh, they don't like that. They like us complacent. They like us, you know, worker ants. They don't want us to have power. They don't want us to be making the rules. They don't want us to have influence. And it, it comes down. <laughs> to that, honestly. And I think it's, um, you know, for them, it's been working. They've never had a hardship in their life. And suddenly that is not necessarily true anymore that we're putting roadblocks in their place and, and in front of them. And I think that that's shaking a lot of things up and, uh, I don't know, they, they like sitting on their money (laughs) and, uh, I think they like having it easy like that and they don't want that to change.
0: You know, one thing I think we don't talk about enough for folks in that position, right? Cis, white, straight, male, lots of power, lots of privilege, is there's an underlying assumption with those folks, and I and I 100% believe this is true, is that they kind of think everything's kind of fine for everybody else. I don't think it comes from like a malicious, like, we must have our boot on the neck of every person not like us. Some instances are like that but I think more so they sort of go, well, what's the What's the big deal? Why? I I don't see color. I don't see gender. Like everybody's just sort of, isn't everybody fine? Like what's, why are you trying to take my stuff? And this, this lack of empathy or recognition, or even being in spaces where they're interacting with and hearing stories that are not like their own hearing experiences. What I found is revolutionary, for folks in my life who like fundamentally believed like racism didn't exist that my experience wasn't different than theirs that like what's the big deal with this whole black lives matter thing is when i would let my experience bump up against their life and just show them and just go here's here's what i go through no judgment i'm not I'm not trying to bring you down a peg as they go i had no idea i had no idea it was like that and and that proximity created empathy and understanding and removed some of the fear. I think with this generation of grownups who are, I think, inviting more kids into being able to freely identify how they want to, and especially with this generation of kids, I think that proximity is doing a lot of work to create more empathy, but I I genuinely have a big fear that that's going to come at the cost of of a lot of kids who who don't receive that empathy, who receive hate, who receive fear, who receive you know stigma because of them just being themselves.
3: Yeah, and I think like a lot of it comes back to education and communication and knowledge sharing because I really think like I mean, with the advent of the internet and the way social media functions now and the way that we can find information at the drop of a hat and like a quick Google search, like I think that we have so much more access to information that was completely invisible to us that shows mm-hmm. us how unequal our systems are, particularly our financial systems and how marginalized people are not on the same playing field as these cis straight white, particularly Christian men. And we're seeing that so much more and people are opening their eyes to that information. And that's making a huge difference in exactly what you're talking about. It's about proximity. And I think that like that doesn't have to necessarily be someone in like the circle of your life. It can be someone who sees your tweets. It can be someone who interacts with you in the world, in the way that your work is in the world, in the way that people interact with your persona on the internet and like your sphere of influence. Right. And so many more people have expansive spheres of influence now to be able to share this knowledge and to be able to share it with kids and with young people. And like, I think that's a big reason why we're seeing this huge wave of activism in these younger generations and Yes, absolutely building empathy is a part of that because you can see the inequality now so starkly. I mean like look at like information about redlining and like and credit scores <laughs> and just understanding like these basic underpinnings of how our society functions that just levels certain people up without them having to do anything and they understand that they didn't really have to do much and they are Confused about why others have to do so much to be able to get to the same place. And I think that those, it's just becoming so much more visible. And I think like getting a handle on our education system is so much of what's happening right now in politics, right? I mean, we've we're talking about critical like quote-unquote critical race theory in schools, we're talking about book bannings in schools, I mean, all of the teacher shortages which are a huge thing right now, the don't say gay stuff in Florida, um keeping trans kids out of sports. Like this is all about making marginalized folks more and more invisible, burying our our traumatic history and keeping the like dirty stuff like under the rug, like sweeping it all under the rug. Uh, We have a beautiful pristine home. There's no dust in here at all. Right. And that is the facade. And that facade has been breaking down. And that means we have to get the dust out from under the rug. And that means the house is going to be dirty for a little bit. And like, I think we're in that phase of things right now. Like, the it's got to get worse before it gets better thing, which sucks. And like, not just sucks like it act like it has impact on people's lives like huge 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 impact and on swaths of different kinds of people with different kinds of identities and experiences and that is awful and like not something that should be taken lightly but I do think that it means that there's progress happening which is like the silver lining of it I guess Um, and like things are shifting and something that I Um, has been kind of coming out of a lot of the anti-trans legislation that's happening right now is that, like, I am seeing people starting to show up when, like, they would have sat on the sidelines before. Like, before this year, I don't think I ever had a kind of, like, I do these queer kid stuff, kind of like live performances and workshops and all that. And I'd never before this year had a workshop that was just queer and trans kids. And now that's like so much of what I do in those workshops and performances. And those are really fulfilling spaces for me, too. And and I hope they are for the kids. I think they are. But like, I think it's uh, it's important to see where the like equal and opposite reaction is starting to happen, too.
0: Well, I think you put it best. If education is the answer, which I really think it is, we should all be very thankful that we have you uh, making so much great content for for parents, for grownups, for kids. Oh. Um, Linz, this conversation was wonderful. Thanks for being on the show.
3: Of course, thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. I wish we had more time. <laughs> <We're> so <laughs> much done. Back. <laughs> me too.
0: <laughs> have a good one. You too. Thanks again to Linz Amer and to you for listening. The future is looking pretty bright with this new generation, but it's up to us to become, well, better grownups if we're not going to get in the way of it. Linz's book, Rainbow Parenting, Your Guide to Raising Queer Kids and Their Allies, comes out May 30th, 2023. You can pre-order your very own copy right now wherever you get books. While you anxiously await their book, you can listen to Rainbow Parenting, their podcast for grownups. You can find Linz on Twitter and Instagram at Aimer. Check out more of their work at QueerKidStuff.com or at QueerKidStuff on Instagram. Keep up with me at Jelani Memory on the Twitters. I really would love to hear what you think of the show, questions you want answered, and guests you'd love to hear from. Just email us at at ListenAtAKidsCo.com. Better Grown Ups is written and hosted by me, Jelani Memory. Matthew Winner was the producer on this episode with additional production support from Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. Don't forget to explore our growing collection of empowering kids books by visiting at kidsco.com. This show is brought to you by the Kidsco Podcast Network. We make challenging, empowering, and important shows for kids and their grownups. Find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found.
1: Friend of the show, Lynz Amer, is back with a new season of Rainbow Parenting. If you enjoyed Lindsay's interview on Better Grown Ups, or if you're looking for an engaging podcast all about queer and gender-affirming parenting, we highly recommend you check it out.
3: Hi friends! Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, a brand new queer and gender-affirming parenting podcast. But this show isn't just for parents. It's also for educators, caregivers, librarians, really anyone who knows, loves, and works with kids. I'm your host, Lynns Amer. I'm the creator of Queer Kids Stuff, and I make queer and trans media for kids and families all over the internet. Most of the stuff I make is for kids, but this time I'm talking to you, the grown-ups. Queer Kid Stuff is the kind of show I wish I had when I was a confused little queer and trans kid who didn't have the language to express who I am. But this show is all about what I wish my parents and teachers and caregivers knew when they were raising me so they could have helped me along the way. Rainbow Parenting gives you the tools and strategies and know-how you need to raise kids in a queer and gender-affirming way, even if you don't know how. Me and a whole bunch of my friends and experts in the field are going to help you navigate LGBTQ plus and social justice topics with the kids in your lives. We're on a mission to spread queer joy and raise a new generation of supported and affirmed queer, trans, and non-binary kids and their allies. Our first episode drops on May 30th and we'll upload new episodes every Monday through early August. That's all we've got for now. Talk soon.